Hello and welcome to Film Festival Reviews, a place where filmmakers and film lovers stop by and listen in on what's happening in and around the film festival circuit worldwide. This is Christina Kotler, your host, and you can find this podcast on iTunes as well as on the website filmfestivalreviews.com. This time of year is always buzzing with film festivals and awards, shows, presentations, whatever, starting with the Sundance Film Festival, which I unfortunately had to miss this year. You know, now getting knee-deep into the awards season, having gone through the televised Golden Globe Awards, the BAFTA Awards are coming up this week, as are the Academy Awards and the Film Independent Spirit Award. You have to be registered as a film independent or be an IFC member in order to vote for the nominated actors and films. So these films are considered, are truly considered indies. I'm really happy to see Frozen River recognized, and not only for Best Feature, but for a total of seven nominations. Best Supporting Actress, Misty Upham, Best Supporting Male, Charlie McDermott, Best Female Lead, Melissa Leo, Best producer Heather Ray, Best Director Courtney Hunt, and Best First Screenplay, Best Feature Frozen River. I also want to mention the other producer, Chip Horhan, who I met last year at Sundance and who got me the ticket for the Friday morning, 8.30 a.m. screening. I'm not going to forget that one. It was cold last year. The film wowed the audience and went on to win the Grand Jury Prize for Best Dramatic Film. And as Quentin Tarantino put it during the awards presentation, he said, the film blew me away. I can't say what he really said. So real, doesn't look like a movie, doesn't feel like a movie, wonderful depiction of poverty in America, took my breath away, and then somewhere around the very beginning of the last hour, put my heart in a vise and proceeded to twist that vise until the last frame and all of a sudden this completely naturalistic movie was the most exciting thriller I'm going to see this year. I got this from the YouTube video and I would love to send it to Morning Joe's gossip editor Courtney Hewitt who reported on the Academy Award nomination announcements where Melissa Leo was nominated for Best Actress and Courtney Hunt nominated for Best Original Screenplay, she commented that Hollywood should not nominate obscure films like Frozen River so they can pull in more viewers for the televised presentation and actors should be from film and not television. I guess she didn't see 21 Grams. She then admits that she had not seen Frozen River, doesn't know anything about it, and wouldn't know where to go to see it. When the other host asked, I mean, shouldn't film and film performances deemed exceptional be nominated for an Academy Award? She stammered, read with embarrassment, that he's probably right about that. Yep, on the air. Hey, yep, that's television. In any case, I want to mention two favorites of mine nominated in the Best Documentary Feature category for the Academy and for the Film Independent Spirit Awards, and that's The Betrayal, a beautifully shot film by cinematographer Ellen Kiras. Ellen is so talented, and I love Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind that she shot. The Betrayal also premiered at Sundance last year, 
and we talked about the film and the 22 years it took to make it. Ellen, good luck. And then there's Man on Wire, the story of Philippe Petit and his daring aerial walk on the wire illegally rigged between the Twin Towers in the 1970s. James Marsh directed this documentary like a bank heist, bringing Petit's extraordinary adventure to life through Philippe's own testimony, along with some of his co-conspirators who helped him create this outrageous yet magnificent spectacle that became known as the artistic crime of the century. This film won the Grand Jury Prize, World Cinema Documentary, and World Cinema Audience Award last year at Sundance and was picked up by Magnolia Pictures. Since then, Man on Wire has been recognized as the best documentary by numerous film critic awards and film festivals throughout the year and now nominated for an Oscar and Spirit Awards. So, on Thursday, February 12th, I will be hosting a New York Women in Film and Television event called A Case Study on the Making of a Feature Documentary, Man on Wire, that will take place at Landmark Sunshine Theater on East Houston in New York. Along with co-producer and NYWIF member Maureen Ryan, cinematographer Igor Martinovich, production designer Sharon Lamofsky, and costume designer Katherine Nixon will show clips from the film and talk about how they, the film production team, pull off an absolutely heart-stopping maze of near misses and death-defying visuals. Let's call it a cinematic deconstruction with an audience Q&A followed by the film screening in its entirety. Right now, I have a conversation with independent producer Maureen Ryan. Enjoy the show. I'm Maureen Ryan, I'm the co-producer of Man on Wire, and I teach also at the graduate film program at Columbia University School of the Arts. Maureen, how did you get started? How did this get on your radar screen? I'm a, a freelance producer, so this was my fifth film with James Marsh, the director of Man on Wire. The way the project started out is Simon Chin, the producer in the UK, heard an interview with Philippe Petit on BBC Radio and he just thought he was an incredibly captivating person, an interesting character. And he then did some research and found out that Philippe had written a book about this walk between the World Trade Center's towers called To Reach the Clouds. And so he optioned that book and then brought James Marsh onto the project as the director. And then James Marsh brought me onto the project as co-producer to basically do the producing for all of the interviews, except for the ones done in France. So all the interviews that we did in America, as well as all the historical recreations that we did in New York City. That is one of the key things we're going to be talking about in two weeks at a, a NYWIFT event that I produce, a case study on the making of a feature documentary, because I found this film so captivating, and especially with the reenactments and things. I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but where did Magnolia acquire this film. We did our world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2008 and after the screenings there negotiations happened between film and Magnolia Pictures. So Magnolia Pictures bought the rights for the US theatrical and DVD and then other rights were sold to other countries. I was at last year's Sundance Film Festival. I couldn't get in to see it. I mean it was like sold out, people standing online, there was a lot of buzz about it, it was very very exciting to hear about this, knowing what it was about and in my mind it's like how could this be as exciting as thrilling 
as people were talking about. I finally got to see it in uh, early summer and it was amazing. I said I knew this one was going to be the, the subject of my producing event and how did you gauge the audience's reactions? It's, you know, because Sundance sometimes could be a little different from other film festivals because people come to Sundance rather than having that that core group of people that actually live there. I mean, we had a very good first screening and second screening. I was able to go to the first two screenings and they were very positive. I mean, people seemed to really enjoy it. So, so that was great. But then what happened was I was, I got on a plane on Thursday morning of that week. I had to come back to New York. That was the day that we had the press and industry screening at Sundance. And after I got off the plane, James Marsh, the director, called to say that they had gotten a standing ovation at the press and industry screening at Sundance. And at that point, we knew we had something because that never happens is what we were told. You're absolutely right, because I would go to those press screenings and the people there, they don't say anything. You know, they just get up and they leave. So to get a standing ovation, absolutely. That was, I don't know what happened to me. I, was, I missed it then. <laughs> So we I was were, going to five films a day at the time last year. So we were really gratified and we, we were very excited after that happened. And we knew kind of, you know, we, we were onto something. And then a couple of nights later, we won the um, special jury prize for Best Documentary World Cinema, as well as the Audience Award for Documentary. So we were, really had a great Sundance experience. And then the next festival experience that kind of was a, a highlight, there were many festivals after that that James took the film to and he had some great festival experiences. But then a lot of the cast and crew were able to come to the Tribeca Film Festival where it played in New York. And that was a specific New York audience. And in some ways this film you know, is particularly, I think, moving or of interest to people from New York City. And that was the best screening I've ever been at in my entire career. And the audience just really got it. They were laughing a lot. They were really engaged with it. And we, we, it was just very exciting. Sometimes the, the film festival circuit you know, for the film takes a life of its own. So this film did win a lot of awards that I've, um, that I've seen. We did well on the festival circuit. We also seem to win a bunch of audience awards, which is always gratifying because it means that it's connecting with an audience, not just a jury or something like that. So we had a great a great festival run, and then we were able to open the film in New York in um, July of 2008. Uh, and then it opened a week or two later in the UK. What do you think the trend is going to be in, in continuing releasing theatrical uh, documentaries? I've been producing feature documentaries for about 12 years now. My first feature documentary was with James Marsh and it was called Wisconsin Death Trip, which came out in 1999. It premiered at the Film Forum in New York and and did many festivals and had a small theatrical release and then it was on Cinemax for HBO. And then I also did a film that came out on HBO a couple of years ago called The Gates, which I produced for Albert Maisel's about the Gates project in Central Park with Christo and Jean-Claude. So I've done several and I've done a couple other documentaries with James as well. So I've done several feature documentaries. I really love the genre. And in terms of where we're headed right now, I think it's a very exciting time for feature docs. There's a lot of interest, I think, in audiences. I think we've kind of broke through in America and people are just as interested in good documentaries as they are in good narrative features. And though I don't know how much there is out there in terms of support from broadcasters, uh, in terms of funding, 
there certainly is, I think, a real interest and love amongst audiences for documentaries. So, so we'll see where it goes. Especially this time of year when they have the uh, award season, pretty much a lot of awards are going on, and people take more interest in it. They want to see the documentary, and they always ask, where can I go see the documentary? Well, it's still playing at the Sunshine Cinema down at uh, East Houston, and that's where we're going to be screening the film after we do this program, the case study, which, again, there's so many elements. So I saw it yesterday, and it was just wonderful to watch, and all these different pieces that were involved in it, not only the interviews, but the special effects that went on, and it was seamless. When did this idea of doing it this way, because reenactments are not that easy to pull off, yeah, I mean, we were a little concerned about that, though um, in Wisconsin Death Trip, another film that James had directed, I had produced, and Jinx Godfrey, the editor, had edited, we had done a lot of historical recreations in that. So we had had some background in that, and I think James very much had a vision for what this should be, and along with the cinematographer Igor Martinovic, came up with a way to do them, hopefully, where they weren't too on the nose and there was some sense of mystery that fit with the genre that we were trying to replicate, which was like a bank heist. So the way we did it was there was kind of layers. The first layer of the film was to do all the interviews with Philippe, and that was a five-day shoot up in his home in Chacan, upstate New York. Um, that's also where we shot him on the wire, which you see at the end of the film. And so we got that layer down, and once we knew kind of what we had, because he's such an amazing interviewee and, and tells the story so well, then it was about getting the other interviewees and recording those interviews as well as archive. So that was the next layer. And once that was all put together in a rough cut that Jinx and James had created, we then kind of knew what pieces of the puzzle needed to be filled in with historical recreations. And that's when we went and spent seven days in New York City and did a full-up production of like an independent feature narrative, full-up with hair, makeup, wardrobe, production design, set builds, all of that to create that layer and then the final edit. Watching it again, and I sit through all the credits, so I really appreciate that. Not only did you tell this story historically, but it has that value of being really entertaining. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Film life. This film started at Sundance. I mean, most people want to go with Sundance first. You know, that's your world premiere. Not necessarily have to go that way, but it worked and gained momentum. You had the run theatrical run. It went out on DVD. It's still in the theater. It's nominated for an Academy Award, for a Spirit Award. What's the next film life? I think after that, you know, I think we've kind of done all the windows. And then after that, it would be, you know, any kind of other broadcast. So in the case of this film, it was funded by Discovery Films in the U.S. with Andrea Medich uh, as exec producer. So it'll play in the U.S. on Discovery. In the UK, it was also funded by BBC Storyville, which is a strand that's co uh, the commissioner is Nick Fraser. So it'll play BBC television for the Storyville strand. And then the other major funder was the UK Film Council. So you know, we've already had a UK theatrical run there and a DVD as well. So those will be the next run for the film, as well as it continues to kind of open around the country. It just uh, opened around the world. It just opened in Germany, from what I understand, and Australia last month. So it'll continue with those kind of windows throughout the world. And then after that, I'm sure there'll be some kind of other window on television somewhere after that. 
So um, those are pretty much that's we've kind of done a kind of a classic run in terms of how to open and how to continue through the festival circuit and into a theatrical release. And as you know, theatrical release is really a big question mark these days. There's it's very rare that feature documentary gets that. And we'll see how that all works in the future. I mean, there may be a video on demand component that now really starts to come in and that maybe it's not going to be necessarily a theatrical in theater exhibition, but it'll be something that will be video on demand that people can get, you know, on a certain day when it quote unquote opens that way. And I know Magnolia Pictures just made a deal at Sundance this year for Hump Day where that's kind of the deal, the model that they're going to be going on. So even as we speak, the world of releases and exhibitions are changing. And with the digital technology, you know, moving so quickly, we will see where things start to congeal as the next step, I think. Not only that, but it's also where the world is, where the audience is in their mindset. Right now, we've seen all these things really are, are very difficult times for a lot of people economically. Do you think this film could contribute to that optimism that people are looking for? Because they said there's a 10% um, increase in people going to theaters since the inauguration, and um, maybe that's still a time for people to go out and be able to escape from it and find films that here's someone who attained his dream a little bit of optimism there, and especially in New York area. I agree. I do think that, I mean, I find this film to be inspiring myself. I think just the story and the vision that Philippe had and the vision that his accomplices had to create this artistic crime of the century, if you want to call it that, I think it is inspiring, and I do think it taps into people's you know, need to kind of be reminded of these moments when people kind of step out and do something extraordinary and absolutely kind of perfect in a way. So I think people have really enjoyed that. The other thing I've noticed about this film is that it's something that children as young as like seven years old and adults all the way into grandparents' age seem to really enjoy. There doesn't seem to be just one niche, um, that it seems to translate through many different demographics and that that is something that's been really nice to see where families can all go together to see it or rent it and watch it together and everybody seems to enjoy it on that level. Absolutely. We're going to be talking more in depth about the making of this documentary. And that's where, when you go to film festivals, you, people have an opportunity to ask those questions. And not many people even know what to ask. So we'll have several clips that you will choose of some of the things that you found were, whether it's complicated or whether you, how you figured out this was going to work. And we'll discuss some of the things that went into play. Great. Do you have some ideas on that? Or? Well, I have to sit down and figure out the clips, but I think we'll certainly concentrate on some of the historical recreations. And then I also think it would be nice to focus a little bit on the interview with Philippe, because I think there's some things there that we did visually as well as what he brought to it that hopefully will be of interest to people. So I, I look forward to that. Do you think any other people that worked on the film that live in the area could uh, come down also? I would love that to be the case, and um, I think we'll reach out to people uh, who are part of the, the crew, the key crew, and see if they can also come to be a part of that, because I think it would be interesting for everybody. Okay, and Maureen, you are a member of NYWIF, New York Women in Film and Television. NYWIF is presenting uh, this program, a case study on the making of documentary, Man on Wire, and I really look forward to uh, talking more about this. So that's going to be February 12th 
Thursday, February 12th at the Sunshine Cinema. And what time is it going to be? It'll start at 6.30. Okay, great. Good. All right. Thanks. Thank you. All right. There you have it. Maureen Ryan knows her way around the film festival course and is one step ahead with the way distribution works now and keeping an eye out on what the future may hold for feature documentaries in theatrical exhibition and distribution. I'm going to have to get Maureen to come back on film festival reviews. Just as I was leaving, we started talking about Sundance this year and I'd love to hear what she's been hearing and reading from other blogs and podcasts. We will have an opportunity to talk about Man on Wire along with the other film production team members Thursday, February 12th at Landmarks Sunshine Theater. Find out more by going to filmfestivalreviews.com. You can reserve tickets through NYWIFT at nywift.org or the Sunshine Cinema located at 143 East Houston Street on the Lower East Side. Just take the F for the V train to the 2nd Avenue stop. The theater is located between 1st and 2nd Avenues. Okay, so until next time, that will be next week. Thanks for listening.